0: tale authors and transcribers make us wonder how they could have ever penned these often gruesome stories for children. None more so than Hans Christian Andersen. In the Grimm's tales, the evil character gets his or her comeuppance in some horrifying manner. But in Andersen's tales, the main character is the main sufferer. Generally, a young, frail, and delicate female must endure appallingly terrible conditions in order to reach her transcendence. Take the little match girl, for example. How and why has this story had such incredible staying power in our Christmas culture? This young, innocent girl freezes to death rather than return home to face her abusive father while celebrations in excess surround her. For Anderson, suffering is the ultimate path that leads to enlightenment and salvation for his main characters. In The Little Mermaid, she must suffer the knives in her human feet in silence after releasing her voice to the sea witch. Famed fairy tale expert Jack Zipes sums up this trend in Anderson's works as such. True virtue and self-realization can be obtained through self-denial. The Disney version we all know glosses over the cost of her suffering, and the painful self-immolation that it took for her to gain terrestrial access. This story is a long one, so I've broken it up into three parts. Stay tuned for more of this story next week. This is part one of The Little Mermaid, by Hans Christian Andersen. Far out at sea, the water's as blue as the petals of the loveliest cornflower, and as clear as the purest glass. But it's very deep, deeper than any anchor can reach. Many church steeples would have to be piled up one above the other to reach the bottom of the sea to the surface. Right down there live the sea people. Now, you mustn't for a moment suppose that it's a bare, white, sandy bottom. Oh no. The most wonderful trees and plants are growing down there, with stalks and leaves that bend so easily that they stir at the very slightest movement of the water, just as though they were alive. All the fishes, big ones and little ones, slip in and out of the branches just like birds up in the air. Down in the deepest part of all is the Sea King's palace. Its walls are made of coral and the long pointed windows of the clearest amber. But the roof is made of cockle shells that open and shut with the current. It's a pretty sight, for in each shell is a dazzling pearl. Any single one of them would be a splendid ornament in a queen's crown. The sea king down there had been a widower for some years, but his old mother kept house for him. She was a clever woman, but proud of her noble birth. That's why she went about with twelve oysters on her tail while the rest of the nobility had to put up with only six. But apart from that, she was deserving of special praise, because she was so fond of the little sea princesses, her grandchildren. They were six pretty children, but the youngest was the loveliest of them all. Her skin was as clear and delicate as a rose leaf. Her eyes were as blue as the deepest lake. But like the others, she had no feet. Her body ended in a fish's tail. All the long day, they could play down there in the palace, in the great halls where living flowers grew out of the walls. The fishes would swim into them, just as with us the swallows fly in when we open the windows. But the fishes swam right up to the little princesses, fed out of their hands, and let themselves be patted. Outside the palace was a large garden with trees of deep blue and fiery red. The fruit all shone like gold and the flowers like a blazing fire with stalks and leaves that were never still. The soil itself was the finest sand, but blue like a sulfur flame. Over everything down there lay a strange blue gleam. You really might have thought you were standing high up in the air with nothing to see but sky above and below you. Rather than that, you were at the bottom of the sea. When there was a dead calm, you caught a glimpse of the sun, which looked like a purple flower pouring out all the light from its cup. Each of the small princesses had her own little plot in the garden, where she could dig and plant at will. One of them gave her flower bed the shape of a whale. Another thought it nicer for hers to look like a mermaid. But the youngest made hers quite round like the sun. And would only have flowers that shone red like it she was a curious child silent and thoughtful and when the other sisters decorated their gardens with the most wonderful things they had got from sunken ships she would have nothing but the rose-red flowers that were like the sun high above and a beautiful marble statue it was the statue of a handsome boy hewn from the clear white stone and come down to the bottom of the sea from a wreck beside the statue she planted a rose-red weeping willow which grew splendidly and let its fresh foliage droop over the statue right down to the blue sandy bottom here the shadow took on a violet tinge and like the branches was never still roots and treetop looked as though they were playing at kissing each other Nothing pleased her more than to hear about the world of humans up above the sea. The old grandmother had to tell her all she knew about ships and towns, people and animals. One thing especially surprised her with its beauty, and this was that the flowers had a smell. At the bottom of the sea, they hadn't any, and also that the woods were green and the fishes you saw in among the branches could sing as clearly and prettily as possible. It was the little birds that the grandmother called fishes. Otherwise, never having seen a bird, the small sea princesses would never have understood her. As soon as you are fifteen, the grandmother told them, You shall be allowed to rise to the surface, and to sit in the moonlight on the rocks, and watch the great ships sailing past. You shall see woods and towns. That coming year, one of the sisters was to have her fifteenth birthday. But the rest of them, well, they were each one year younger than the other, So the youngest of them had a whole five years to wait before she could rise up from the bottom and see how things are with us. But each promised to tell the others what she had seen and found most interesting on the first day, for their grandmother didn't really tell them enough. There were so many things they were longing to hear about. None of them was so full of longing as the youngest, the very one who had the most time to wait "'and was so silent and thoughtful. "'Many a night, she stood at the open window "'and gazed up through the dark blue water, "'where the fishes frisked their tails and fins. "'She could see the moon and the stars, "'though it's true their light was rather pale, "'and yet, through the water, "'they looked much larger than they do to us. "'And if ever a kind of black cloud "'went gliding along below them, "'she knew it was either a whale swimming above her, or else a Vessel, with many passengers. These certainly never imagined that a lovely little mermaid was standing beneath and stretching up her white hands toward the keel of their ship. By now, the eldest princess was fifteen, and allowed to go up to the surface. When she came back, she had a hundred things to tell. But the loveliest, she said, was to lie in the moonlight on a sandbank in a calm sea, and there, close into the shore... To look at the big town where the lights were twinkling like a hundred stars. To listen to the sound of the music, and the noise and clatter of carts and people. To see all the towers and spires on the churches, and hear the bells ringing. And just because she couldn't get there, it was this above everything that she longed for. Oh, how the youngest sister drank it all in. And, when later in the evening... She stood at the open window and gazed up through the dark blue water. She thought of the big town with all its noise and clatter. And then, she seemed to catch the sound of the church bells ringing down to her. The following year, the second sister was allowed to go up through the water and swim wherever she liked. She came up to the surface, just as the sun was setting, and that was the sight she found most beautiful. The whole sky had looked like gold, she said, and the clouds... Well, she just couldn't describe how beautiful they were as they sailed, all crimson and violet over her head. And yet, much faster than they, a flock of wild swans flew like a long white veil across the water where the sun was setting. She swam off in that direction, but the sun sank, and its rosy light was swallowed up by sea and cloud. The year after that, the third sister went up. She was the boldest of them all and she swam up a wide river that flowed into the sea. She saw delightful green slopes with grapevines, manors and farms peeped out among magnificent woods. She heard all the birds singing, and the sun was so hot that she often had to dive under the water to cool her burning face. In a small cove, she came upon a swarm of little human children splashing about quite naked in the water. She wanted to play with them, They ran away terrified, and a little black animal came up. It was a dog. She had never seen a dog before. It barked at her so dreadfully that she got frightened and made for the open sea. But never could she forget the magnificent woods, the green slopes, and the darling children who could swim on the water, although they had no fish's tails. The fourth sister was not so bold. She kept far out in the wild waste of ocean and told them that was just what was so wonderful. You could see for miles and miles around you. And the sky hung above like a big glass bell. She had seen ships, but a long way off, looking like seagulls. The jelly dolphins had been turning somersaults, and enormous whales had spurted up water from their nostrils, so that they seemed to be surrounded by a hundred fountains. And now, it was the turn of the fifth sister, Her birthday happened to come in winter, and so she saw things that the others hadn't seen the first time. The sea appeared quite green, and great icebergs were floating about. They looked like pearls, she said, and yet they were much larger than the church towers put up by human beings. They were to be seen in the most fantastic shapes, and they glittered like diamonds. She had sat down on one of the biggest, and all the ships gave it a wide berth as they sailed in terror past where she sat with her long hair streaming in the wind. But late in the evening, the sky became overcast with clouds. It lightened and thundered as the dark waves lifted the great blocks of ice right up so that they flashed in the fierce red lightning. All the ships took in sail, and amidst the general horror and alarm, she sat calmly on her floating iceberg and watched the blue lightning zigzag into the glittering sea. The first time one of the sisters went up to the surface, she would always be delighted to see so much that was new and beautiful. But afterwards, when they were older and could go up as often as they liked, it no longer interested them. They longed to be back again, and when a month had passed, they said that, after all, it was nicest down below, it was such a comfort to be home. Often, of an evening, the five sisters used to link arms and float up together out of the water. They had lovely voices, more beautiful than any human voice. And when a gale sprang up, threatening shipwreck, they would swim in front of the ships and sing tempting songs of how delightful it was at the bottom of the sea. And they told the sailors not to be afraid of coming down there. But the sailors couldn't make out the words of their song. They thought it was the noise of the gale. Nor did they ever see any of the delights the mermaids promised, because when the ship sank, the crew were drowned, and only as dead men did they come to the palace of the Sea King. When, of an evening, the sisters floated up through the sea like this, arm in arm, their little sister stayed back, all alone, gazing after them. She would have cried, only a mermaid hasn't any tears, and so she suffers all the more. Oh... If only I were fifteen, she said, I'm sure I shall love that world up there and the people who live in it. And then at last, she was fifteen. There. Now you'll soon be off our hands, said her grandmother, the old dowager queen. Come now, let me dress you up like your sisters. And she put a wreath of white lilies on her hair. But every petal of the flowers was a half a pearl, and the old lady made eight big oysters, nipped to the princess's tail to show her high rank. Ah, that hurts, said the little mermaid. Yes, said the grandmother. One can't have beauty for nothing. How she would have liked to shake off all this finery and put away the heavy wreath. The red flowers in her garden suited her much better. But she didn't dare make any change. Goodbye, she said, and went up through the water as light and clear as a bubble. The sun had just set as she put her head up out of the sea, but the clouds had still a gleam of rose and gold, and up in the pale pink sky, the evening stars shone clear and beautiful. The air was soft and fresh, and the sea dead calm. A large, three-masted ship was lying there, with only one sail hoisted, because not a breath of wind was stirring, and sailors were lolling about in the rigging and on the yards. There was music and singing, and as it grew dark, hundreds of lanterns were lit that, with their many different colors, looked as if the flags of all the nations were flying in the breeze. The little mermaid swam right up to the porthole of the cabin, and every time she rose with the swell of the wave, she could see through the clear glass a crowd of splendidly dressed people, but the handsomest of them all was a young prince with large, dark eyes. He couldn't have been much more than sixteen. It was his birthday, and that's why there was all this set-out. As the young prince came out onto the deck where sailors were dancing, over a hundred rockets swished up into the sky, and broke into a glitter like broad daylight. That frightened the little mermaid, and she dived back down under the water. But she quickly popped her head up again, and look, it was just as if all the stars in heaven were falling down on her. Never had she seen such fireworks. Great suns were spinning around, gorgeous firefishes swerving into the blue air, and all this glitter was mirrored in the clear, still water. On board the ship herself, it was so light that you could make out every little rope, let alone the passengers. Oh, how handsome the young prince was. He shook his hands with the sailors. He laughed and smiled while the music went floating out into the loveliness of the night. It grew late, but the little mermaid couldn't take her eyes off the ship and the beautiful prince. The colored lanterns were put out, the rockets no longer climbed into the sky, and the cannon were heard no more. But deep down in the sea, there was a mumbling and a rumbling. Meanwhile, the mermaid stayed on the water, rocking up and down so that she could look into the cabin but the ship now gathered speed. One after another, her sails were spread. The waves increased. Heavy clouds blew up, and lightning flashed in the distance. Yes, they were in for a terrible storm. So the sailors took in their sails. As the great ship rocked and scudded through the raging sea, the waves rose higher and higher like huge black mountains, threatening to bring down the mast. But the ship dived like a swan into the trough of waves. The waves rose higher and higher like huge black mountains, threatening to bring down the mast. But the ship dived like a swan into the trough of waves, and then rode up again on their towering crests. The Little Mermaid thought, why, it must be fun for a ship to sail like that. But the crew didn't. The vessel creaked and cracked. The stout planks crumpled up under the heavy pounding of the sea against the ship. The mast snapped in the middle like a stick, and then the ship gave a lurch to one side as the water came rushing into the hold. At last, the little mermaid realized that they were in danger. She herself had to look out for the beams and bits of wreckage that were drifting on the water. One moment, it was so pitch dark that she couldn't see a thing. But then, when the lightning came... It was so bright that she could make out everyone on board. It was now a case of each man for himself. The young prince was the one she was looking for, and as the ship broke up, she saw him disappear into the depths of the sea. Just for one moment, she felt quite pleased, for now he would come down to her. But then she remembered that humans can't live under the water, and that only as a dead man could he come down to her father's palace. No, no, he mustn't die. So, she swam in among the drifting beams and planks, with no thought for the danger of being crushed by them. She dived deep down and came right up again among the waves. And at last, she found the young prince. He could hardly swim any longer in the heavy sea. His arms and legs were beginning to tire. The fine eyes were closed. He would certainly have drowned if the little mermaid had not come. She held his head above water, and then let the waves carry her along with him. By morning, the gale had quite gone. Not the smallest trace of the ship was to be seen. The sun rose red and glowing out of the water, and seemed to bring life to the prince's cheeks. But his eyes were still shut. The mermaid kissed his fine, high forehead, and smoothed back his dripping hair. He was like the marble statue down in her little garden. She kissed him again, and wished that he might live. Presently, she saw the mainland in front of her. High blue mountains with the white snow glittering on their peaks like nestling swans. Down by the shore were lovely green woods, and in front of them, a church or a convent. She wasn't sure which, but anyhow, a building. Lemon and orange trees were growing in the garden, and tall palm trees in front of the gate. At this point, the sea formed a little inlet, where the water was quite smooth, but very deep, close into the rock, where the fine white sand had silted up. She swam here with the handsome prince, and laid him on the sand, with his head carefully pillowed in the warm sunshine. Now there was a sound of bells from the large white building, and a number of young girls came through the garden. So the little mermaid swam farther out behind some large boulders that were sticking out of the water and covered her hair and breast with sea foam so that her face wouldn't show. And then she watched to see who would come to the help of the unfortunate prince. It wasn't long before a young girl came along. She seemed quite frightened, but only for a moment. Then she fetched several others, and the mermaid saw the prince come round and smile at those about him. But no smile came out for her, for, of course, he didn't know she had rescued him. She felt so sad that when he was taken away into the large building, she dived down sorrowfully into the sea and went back to her father's palace. Thanks for listening to my podcast. I created Telling Tales to really dive into one of my true loves of life, fairy tales. If you love them too, then please like, subscribe, and share this podcast. You can stay up to date by following me on Instagram, at Telling Tales. Have a magical day.